Welcome to the podcast of Revival Fires. This week's message by Ryan Baker Barnes is called Jesus is Revival. Please visit our website www.revivalfires.org.uk for more live streams and resources, including upcoming events. Join us for the next healing encounter on Saturday the 3rd of June from 4 to 6 p.m. at Revival Fires. You have nothing to lose but your sickness. I, I really do enjoy preaching here because I, I know that you guys don't just come here on a Sunday to listen to a message. You come here to change the world. Is that what you come here for? You've come here to be the change in the world, and that's what we believe. Trevor started a, a theme of revival again, and we looked at it on last weekend. Gary continued on Thursday night, which was really excellent. Do you remember what he was talking about? Those of you who were here, those of you who watched the stream, preaching from Numbers 11, looking at the manna, looking at how um, God provided supernaturally for the Israelites and how what they chose to do was to complain and look to the past rather than be satisfied with what God is doing and look to the future. And he talked about God giving us a resolve of revival. And I was reading um, in my Bible readings today, John 6. Can I read this out to you? So remember the backdrop of what the message we just had last weekend, and I'm reading along in my Bible reading program. John 6 verse 26 says this, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. For the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father has set his seal. Then pop down a couple of verses, verse 31. The Israelites said to him, this is probably the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people in the courts that he's preaching to said to him, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. And I'm reading this. I'm thinking, oh, here's the manna. Jesus is talking about the same manna that we were heard about last weekend. Let's see what God has to say to us about this. Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst again. I love that response that they say, Jesus, always give us this bread. Is that the cry of your heart? Jesus, always give us this bread. Something very interesting happens here. Jesus equates himself, if you read between the lines, to the bread and the manna in the book of Numbers and also in the book of Exodus. He says, I am the bread of heaven. You had Moses and Moses gave you bread to eat, which is really from the Father, manna. But I am that bread. I am the bread of heaven, the bread that comes down to earth right now for you to eat. And there's two steps that he says here. I love this. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst thirst again. I want to make one point really today. I want to make one point that sticks with us. When we look at this thing about revival, I want you to know that Jesus is revival. And I want you to know that revival is Jesus. You know, I mentioned already I'm from Africa. Many of you guys know I was born in Zimbabwe. Uh, As a 15-year-old, I got filled with the Holy Spirit in an incredible way through the 
the, the ministry of worship, um, my life was absolutely changed. My mom would come into my bedroom and instead of me playing guitar or me, okay, I used to keep really, really weird creatures. This is not a lie. This is not a game where I tell you two lies and one truth. You have to guess which is true. This is all true because I'm standing on the platform in the house of the Lord. <laughs> I used to keep pet spiders, big tarantulas. I used to go out in the bush in Africa and find them and keep them. I used to go and catch little crickets and grasshoppers and feed them. It was amazing. I got bored of that. I started catching chameleons, right? Like these, these lizards that their eyes move in different directions. I don't know how, how their brain works. I don't know what their brain looks like inside. Do they have like two screens in their mind? You know, do they, I don't know how they see, but anyway, beautiful animals. They change color. You hold them on your skin. They go a lovely pink color. You put them back in the, in the tree. They go green. We used to tease them. We used to put them on a red carpet and that was the only color they couldn't turn to. <laughs> they would go red and they'd go orange and they'd go purple and they, their eyes would like pop out even more. We, you know, we, Anyway, I got bored of that, so then I started catching snakes. <laughs> I went out into the bush. I used to catch snakes, but here's the thing. If there's any avid snake hunters among you or anyone watching online, disclaimer, I learned which ones were the poisonous ones versus which ones were the constrictors, right? Before I went snake hunting, okay? My mom was very, very secure and safe. She said, make sure you know which ones are safe. If you see an unsafe one, run away, <laughs> So I knew which ones were correct. We'd go and we'd catch snakes. We'd bring them into the house. I then had to start breeding rats to feed the snakes. I do have a point to get to, I promise. <laughs> the crazy thing is, I got more injured from the rats than from the snakes. I used to have to put my hand in the rat cage from breeding the rats to feed the snakes. And the rats would bite my fingers. Like, they would draw blood proper. The snakes weren't even bothered. They're just so sluggish. Anyway, I used to keep all these animals. So... I met God at 15. The Holy Spirit turned my life around. When, when my mom would come into the room, the door would be closed, and she would think I was studying up about snakes, right? Or she would think I was feeding a chameleon or something. But no, she'd open the door, and I was like on the floor, weeping and crying, CD playing, worship music. I was just loving Jesus. Like he totally turned my life around. My mom would open the door with a hoover. <gasps> just quietly just close the door. <laughs> to this day, I don't know what she thought I was doing. <laughs> But, you know, God absolutely turned my life and at, turned my life around. And at that age, I started journaling. This is the crazy thing. The Holy Spirit taught me all these things. Like, I was soaking, right? I was waiting on His presence. I wouldn't even know what that was. Our church didn't even talk about this kind of stuff. It was just what God does when you fall in love with Him. And I, I, would, I would pray and He would give me things. I'd write them down as a 16-year-old. Any 16-year-olds in, in here today? I know we've got a couple. Uh, yep. <laughs> Very honest worship leader. <laughs> As a 16-year-old, I wrote in my journal, I could show you the pages, Lord, you made me for revival. Lord, I long to see people's hearts turn to you. I don't even know what half of this stuff meant. I just would hear preaching on a Sunday about this thing called revival. I would read in the, in the Bible about revival. And revival is in the Bible. It's not a 20th century word, people. This is something that God had. Even, even when the Israelites moved, revival was what God sent Jesus for, right? To revive the relationship that we had with the Father when we lost it in Eden. 
Revival is what happened when God saved Israel out of Egypt to bring up his people, to return them to his heavenly culture. Revival was what happened when, when kings would find the lost book of the law after they had lived for 40, 60, 80 years, turning back and worshiping other gods in, the, in, in their promised land. And they would read the book of the law and they would weep and return to the Lord. Every time you see the word return, that's also revival. They would return to the plans of the Lord. They'd say, Lord, come and, come and change us. Come and lift us out of bondage. Come and lift us out of the, the captivity that we've come into again because we haven't kept ourselves pure to your word. That's what revival. And we read stories. We hear stories. A couple of weeks ago, we had Smith Wigglesworth's granddaughter in here. We had Lester Summers' grandson in here talking about revival. And it's incredible. It's something in the Bible. It's something in the history. But it's something that as I was writing in this journal, I said, Lord, I was made for revival. Do you know you were made for revival? Revival is God's plan. And it's really easy because revival is Jesus. It's not something we have to go back and, and, and think, if I, only I could be like Smith Wigglesworth. If only I could be like Elijah, calling down fire from heaven to bring revival. <laughs> that won't change your streets, by the way. Just a little bit of an, uh, you know, a side note there. So it's incredible how I, I look back at that, this journal and God brought me all the way from there, Zimbabwe, Africa, all the way here to Dudley. I didn't even come here for the church. I came here because God gave me a job in this area. And what's the name of the church? Here we are. You know, God can do incredible things. And, and of course, I met my wife. <laughs> God could do incredible things, but I want you to know you are on a journey of revival. This is my story, but this is our story. As a church, we're gathered here in this building underneath this canopy of a ministry, not just because it's the only place that we go. We go because this is the calling that God has put upon our lives. But I want to, in the, in the midst of all of that, I want to make it really, really simple. Revival is Jesus, and Jesus is revival. If we could pursue him, if we could have him, like Trevor said last Sunday, read Song, Song of Solomon's, the book of Solomon, the Song of Songs. Have Jesus turn our hearts and awake our hearts with love for him again. You know what? Revival is easy. If he revives our heart, it happens all, all around us. So what I want to do today, I want us to look at a couple of points about the manna and the bread of heaven. And I want to talk about Jesus. I love Jesus. I love talking about him. I just want him to captivate your heart again. Some of you today might even have drifted away from Jesus or might not have even heard the message of Jesus like this. And you just want to come back and say, Jesus, I want to give myself to you again. That's what I want to do. But can I just be a little bit of a lawyer this morning? I want to talk about three witnesses. Say three witnesses. Sounds like a movie title, doesn't it? The three witnesses. You know, the Bible is incredible. Everything that Jesus does is confirmed by witnesses. It's, it's confirmed by other people's testimony. It's not just one little story that, out, that is out there by itself that the world would want to tell us to believe that. It is confirmed by so many different things. There are threads, rich threads of Scripture through the, this book that are woven together. And as we look at it, we see the incredible beauty of Jesus, the incredible truth that He's put out in, in these pages for our lives. And there are three witnesses that confirm this fact, that Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus compares the manna to the bread of heaven, and he says that they are both himself. You don't have to turn there. Look at that. My, my message is my offering. Ooh. We don't have to turn there. On 1 Corinthians chapter 10. says this. This is Paul. This is the witness of Paul. 
It's entitled, Avoid Israel's Mistakes. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers, who were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, who were all baptized into Moses and into the cloud and into the sea, he's talking about Israel coming out of the captivity, right? And all ate the same spiritual food, the manna from heaven, and they all drank the same spiritual drink. They were drinking the spiritual rock, which followed them, and the rock was Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying here, the manna that they had was, a, was a, a representation of what we have today, the rock of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. It says um, in Isaiah, I love this passage, Isaiah 55. Let me just read it to you again. Verse 11. Uh, let me read the John 1 first. Right? John 1, verse 1. You all know the John scripture? In the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it says in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw the glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. So here again is the Word, Jesus, in heaven, being sent down and made flesh. The very flesh that we can eat at communion, the very bread of life. John's witness saying the same thing, Jesus the bread of life. And then Isaiah 55 says this. Verse 11. So will be my word, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter which I sent it. Who's he talking about? Every single word that God sends into your life, you can claim this promise, people. God's word will not return to you void, but he's also talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word that God sent down. The word made flesh, the very bread of heaven, walked among the earth, ascended back to heaven, but now through the Holy Spirit lives in us. We can still enjoy this bread of revival. This is the bread of heaven. This was God's plan. This is not just the teaching of man. We need to make revival happen. If we rub these sticks hard enough long enough together, if we worship with this song hard enough, long enough, if we maybe keep taking the pitch up, turn, turn more bass up, maybe revival will happen. You know what? Revival is God's plan. Revival is God's plan for your life. Maybe if we do enough life groups, every single, let's not do just on a Wednesday, let's do it on Monday night, a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, a Thursday night, a Friday night, let's do it every single night in our street. Maybe we'll have revival. Maybe. But the first thing is, revival is God's plan. Revival is enjoying and getting to know the bread of life, Jesus, manifested in your life. So Jesus is revival. Revival is not just a church. Revival is not just a movement. Revival is not just a catchphrase. Revival is not just a meeting. Revival is not just a song. Revival is Jesus. And Jesus is revival. So, the interesting thing, if you remember what Trevor was saying uh, last week, was that the Israelites, God's own people, rejected the manna. And I was thinking about that. You know, why sometimes don't we have revival? Because the world rejects Jesus. And are there areas in our life even that sometimes we reject Jesus? Do you know, it's so easy for us to to get so used to the message of Jesus and all that we, we think we know or the expectations, there's that word again, 
that we can actually not bring our lives underneath Him and, and, and almost reject Him. Another, another thing I've been reading that I absolutely love is in Joshua. You probably know this. Joshua uses this word. He says, I will inquire of the Lord. Don't you love that? I will inquire. That's not a word we use in our everyday language, but I love it. What happened in Joshua is he was called by the Lord to fight a number of battles. Every single battle that he went to the Lord and said, God, what is your strategy? I will inquire of the Lord. The strategy was different every single time. Isn't that crazy? It's not like us. We want to like find a strategy, right? And go with it, don't we? I was talking to Gary on the way back from the street uh, yesterday saying, mate, that was really hard. <laughs> I tried to use the strategy of, of the treasure hunt. You know, I went to guys with camouflage and it failed, like I told you. And he said, yeah, Ryan, you know, you just got to find the key. There's a key for every single day that God's going to use. So I'm like, yeah, like a pro, Gary. Thank you for telling me that. And he said, there was one story. I'm telling his stories now. They did an outreach in Wales. And the key that they discovered by accident for, for, for that day was um, they went up to the person and they said, hey, do you know where the star, star Center building is? And the guy said, oh, yeah, yeah, it is. I know where the Star Center building is. If you go down this road and turn left, it's there. And then you said, oh, great, thanks. I actually know where it is. I wanted to know if you know where it is because later on today there's a fantastic meeting going on there and you need to be there. And so that day you told the other people in the team and that was the strategy for the day and at the end of the day like how many people got saved loads loads see revival right there i like that there's a strategy for everything joshua inquired of the lord the, there was two times he didn't inquire of the lord and guess what happened on both those times yeah, you can shout something at me defeated there you go they were defeated every time Joshua didn't inquire of the Lord. You know, I want to bring my life to Jesus. I don't ever want to, um, like Israel in the desert, reject his manner. And it can be so easy. We can just get up every day and think, oh, I'm going to go off to my life. You know, I'm going to do this, do that. But just this week, I'm stopping and saying, Lord, what is it that you want me to do today? Lord, who are you going to bring into my path? Or what are the things, the priorities on your heart? What are the things that I need to do? You know, imagine a world that doesn't reject Jesus. And in that John 6 passage, Jesus was very clear, and I've never seen it like this before. He said two things, and the bread of life. He who comes to me will eat and not hunger, but he who believes in me will never thirst again. There's two steps even when it comes to embracing this, this thing of Jesus. Um, I can keep talking about yesterday. There was people who we prayed for, who, who we talk to, and they, their hunger, they, that they don't even know that they have. There's a hunger in the world for Jesus, the bread of life. Their hunger was met because we brought them Jesus, but they didn't believe in him. We offered, hey, would you like us to, to lead you to Jesus? And, and the one guy said, I'm not ready for that yet. He didn't believe in him, so his thirst will continue going until he meets Jesus. There's two steps that Jesus wants us, and that's revival, not just to, to eat of him, but then to come and to fully believe, not just to reject him, but to fully believe. Does, it, does that make sense? The satisfaction for the thirst in our 21st century is Jesus. The satisfaction for all the thirst, I mean, you, you don't have to be a rocket science scientists to realize this you see people who are thirsty for meaning in their lives you see it on instagram you see it on facebook you see it at colleagues around the work whether they they wear a certain uniform or, or um, brand of clothing or look a certain way 
look like their famous, um, their favorite celebrity. You know, maybe they'll they'll find some kind of meaning. Maybe if they do that, they'll satisfy this thirst in their life. Maybe if they earn enough money. Maybe if they build a, a, a big family. Maybe if they build a big business. Who knows? There's all these thirsts. You guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? And we're here because we've had our thirst satisfied by Jesus. Because Jesus has revived us. You know, and Jesus is the only satisfaction for the thirst in this 21st century. We want to believe him. We want to receive him. So are you ready? There's a couple of points I want to go through of Jesus, the manner, and what he wants to show us about himself. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? That's good. I'm sorry I feel like a teacher. Uh, maybe that's what I'm good at. <laughs> okay, the first one. If you, I'm not going to read all the scriptures, but if you're making notes, Numbers 11 and Exodus chapter 16. These two passages talk about the manna. And Jesus equated himself to the manna. So what can we learn about Jesus by looking at the manna? Here's the first thing I want to make. Jesus is the Jew of our lives. Say Jew. Jew. Jesus is the Jew of our lives. Such an interesting word. There's a couple of things about Jew. Jew forms at two times of day. It forms first thing in the morning and it forms the last thing at night. Jesus wants to be the author and the finisher of our lives. We, if we're going to walk in revival, we need to wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, here I am. We need to end our lives by saying, Jesus, here I am. He wants to be the bookends. He wants to be the beginning and the end. He wants to be the alpha and the omega. Those are not just words that we read. I'm reading them off my tongue because I'm a good Christian boy. We need to take those and say, Lord, I want you to be my beginning. I want you to be my end. Everything I do, Lord, from start to finish, it starts with you and it ends with you. That's who Jesus wants to be in our lives. If we were to simply live like that, do you know what? Revival isn't just a possibility, it's a probability. If we live like that, totally into Jesus, it it happens. It's that simple. The start and the end of the day is when the dew forms. I don't know, um, it's kind of difficult in, in, our, in our Western world. We, we walk out the house and it's paved. We walk to the car and it's paved. We go to get to the shops and it's paved. We come home at night and it's paved and the weather's cold, so we wear shoes. But if you've ever been on holiday or on a lovely summer's morning when it's warm enough, and we're almost getting that here these days, and you wake up and you go outside and the wet grass, the dew on the grass covers your feet. Do you know that feeling I'm talking about? Yeah? Isn't it refreshing? You know, the Jew has been sent by God. When God created the world in all his infinite wisdom, he put these little mysteries so that the earth would never go unwatered. He would always leave the animals refreshed. You know, Jesus is our Jew. Jesus is there to refresh your life. It says in Isaiah 55, I read that scripture earlier, the witness of Isaiah. He says it better than I could ever say it. Listen to this. Jesus, the Jew of our lives. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why do you spend money on bread that does not satisfy or wages that does not fill you? Come and delight in the abundance. Come and refresh yourself. Come and drink from Jesus. You know, I want to be the one who tells the world, you might be thirsty. Come and drink from Jesus. There is a river. There is a stream that flows 
in our lives because Jesus is our King. There is a river that is the refreshing of Jesus that we can drink from. If you're weary, if you're tired, if anyone is thirsty, come to Jesus. Let Him refresh your soul. Isn't that amazing? The world would try to throw other things at us. Are you tired? Come and do this with us. This will refresh you. Are you weary? Don't worry. This will refresh you. Is your soul run down? Come and try a bit of this. This will refresh you. And it does for a little bit. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? It does for a little bit, but nothing will refresh you like Jesus Christ. Nothing will refresh you so deep with than Jesus Christ. All you have to do is come to him. Like he said in John 6, come to me. I am the bread of life. There's another interesting thing about Jew. Jew forms at something that's called the Jew point. Now I'm not going to get like a geography teacher for you, but simple, simple, simple thing to say. There's a couple of things that have to happen in order for Jew to form. The ground temperature has to reach a certain temperature. The atmosphere, the amount of moisture in the atmosphere has to reach a certain, certain temperature and there has to be some kind of items, that membranes that are thin enough for water to condense. When those three things come together, it's called the dew point and it's at that point that dew is formed. And as I was thinking about this, thinking Jesus, you are the dew of my life, God said that there are points in our lives, there are perfect scenarios heavenly situations that he is setting up that he wants to be a dew point in your life for him to step in sometimes we can think man life is getting really hard this ground is really cold the air is so wet i'm talking figuratively but you know what i mean don't you situation at work situations in families man this just keeps stressing me out and we 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 miss an opportunity but what god is saying is that is a dew point where jesus wants to manifest his refreshing in your life do any of you have moments like that in your life? Things where, places in, where you feel hard-pressed. Things where you feel like there's no breakthrough. Times where you're feeling like you just keep hitting up against the wall. Take this word and say, Jesus, I believe next time this happens that this is going to be my dew point. This is the place where instead of getting stressed or instead of taking myself to other streams to get watered, I'm going to realize that it's an opportunity for the presence of Jesus to manifest. For Jesus to come in and make himself so real in my situation. Do you guys want that? Yes, Lord. Lord, I pray that you do that for us, Lord. There's another thing about Jew uh, I mentioned about walking out in the grass. And as a young boy, when I would go look for these snakes or these spiders, waking up early in the morning, heading out into the bush, we had these really, really big spider webs. Big, thick, yellow spider webs. It's almost like, um, yeah, yellow really really strong almost like a thread I'm grossing my wife out right now I'm so sorry and there would be times we'd walk through the bush and you wouldn't see them and they would get caught up in your hair they get caught up in your clothes they get caught up in your face you know like totally disgusting I could hold a snake I could catch a snake I could hold a tarantula but spider webs freak me out like I would run into a spider web and just the feeling I would probably run like five five hundred meters make sure there's no spiders on me you know But when you head out early enough in the morning and the dew has formed, the dew forms droplets on the spider's webs. And that which is so hard to see at other times of day, in the presence of the dew, you can see it and you can steer clear of it. 
You know, the presence of Jesus in your life wants to give you wisdom. He wants to make it so clear, the webs of the enemy. He's going to form his presence so you see, you hear his voice, you hear his wisdom, you eat his words of life, and you know, if I run down this road, I'm going to get myself caught in a spider's web. The presence of Jesus is there to keep you free from that. So all we have to do today is say, Jesus, be the Jew of my life. Just like the manna. Lord, would you come and be the Jew of our lives? You know, the manna was a miracle. It was an absolute miracle. But there was another miracle that happened, if you read in Exodus. And this was the miracle of sufficiency. And this point is that Jesus is always sufficient. I want to say that again. Jesus is always sufficient. You know, the Bible says that when the Israelites were to collect the manna, they were to collect one omer each. But something interesting happened. Some of the young ones, some of the old ones, some of the ones who were less able, didn't have enough time before the Jew lifted to collect enough manna. Some of the younger ones would collect all that they needed in a few minutes. And when they would bring the manna into the house and measure it into the omer, the omer is just a portion, sorry, and like, you know, measure the amount, every single body's portion was the same. Everybody had enough. That's in the book of Exodus. That, what a miracle. No matter how little they were able to collect or if they were able to collect too much, when the time came, there was always enough. Jesus wants you to know that he is enough for you. You know, it doesn't matter what we're facing. He is enough for you. You know, Jesus is enough even for Dudley. I love what they're doing in Dudley. They, the council, the people, the dreamers. I love what's happening in Dudley. But there's still great needs. Jesus is enough for Dudley. You know, that later on I'll get to this point, but actually Jesus is the only thing that could turn Dudley around. You know, Jesus is enough for your life. Jesus is the only thing that could turn your life around. I want to stop working so hard, striving to pick up enough of the Jew. I just want to enjoy what I get because I know what he gives me is enough. You know, this is also something that Jesus has talk, been talking to me about. I, I want to study him more. I want to know more about him. But in the discrepancy, in the gap between me getting there and me being here where I am, the amount that I can receive of Jesus is enough for me. I don't have to, you don't have to study and study and study trying to be like some other man of God to get enough of Jesus in your life. You just have to say, Lord, you're the beginning and the end of my life. I'm going to spend time with you. And what he gives you, if you make him the beginning and the end, will see you through the day. Jesus is sufficient for you. He is our manna. He is our miracle. He is our daily portion. But I also want to just challenge you. The things that Jesus gives you for today, don't hold it back till tomorrow. You know the manna, their daily portion? They couldn't hold it till the next day. Because if what they left for the next day also somehow miraculously had maggots in it and was putrid and was rotten, they couldn't eat it the next day. There was a portion that was set aside for that day and that day only. If you didn't partake of it that day, it was missed out. You know, I want to challenge you. Jesus has got a portion for you every single day. Don't let him tell you something and say, I'll do that tomorrow. Do it today because tomorrow it's gone. Jesus has got a portion for you every single day. That is revival. When a people say, Lord, every single day I am yours. Let's be a people who grab that portion that Jesus has for us every single day. The next thing about manna. The Bible was very descriptive about its taste. Now, some of you might not like this. I personally am a big fan of coriander. 
I like the leaves in a curry. I like the leaves in a salsa. I like the leaves in a Mexican food. I know you're getting ready for lunch. I like the seeds ground up in some biltong. I like the seeds ground up in some meat. When I do my, my stir fries, or if I do a mincemeat, I put the curry and the seed in. It is delicious. Fact. <laughs> no, some of you don't like coriander seeds, so let me give you some scientific facts. I went on the internet and I searched what are the benefits of coriander seed? If the Lord, if God was in his wisdom, you know, nothing happens by chance. Everything is intricate. What can I learn from you, Jesus, from, curry, from the manna tasting like coriander seed? This blew me away, guys. You guys are going to want to go and eat some coriander for lunch. It lowers the blood sugar level. Hello. <laughs> it eases digestion. It decreases blood pressure. I need a lot of that sometimes. <laughs> it fights food poisoning. And it improves cholesterol levels. Scientifically, it's this incredible mix of fatty acids. Gunter's nodding his head. We have a chef in the house. He's like, yeah, coriander. It has this incredible mix of fatty acids and amino acids that do these amazing things. But what is all this to do with? This has all got to do with blood. And what did Jesus do at the cross for us? He gave us his blood. He gave us his life. All this has to do with healing. You know what? Jesus is the healing that you need. Jesus is the healing that you can carry to the people around you. It's all in Jesus. Jesus is revival. And revival is knowing Jesus. You know, the Hebrew word for coriander as well actually means cut. Jesus was the one, Isaiah says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was, he was cut. He was pierced for our healing. You know, Jesus is the healing you need. If you're crying out for healing, there are so many good things we could do. There's so many good step plans. Don't stop going to the NHS. Despite of the hackers, we need to pray for them. But Jesus is your healing. This is not all. Coriander, it goes on. <laughs> it helps your urinary tract. It gets rid of heavy metals. I'm not talking about the music. It gets rid of heavy metals. <laughs> what does that say? It gets rid of the impurities in our lives. Jesus is this for us. We just need to say, come to him every day. It even helps with neurological inflammation. Your brain, your thoughts. You know, if we're struggling with even remembering things, we just need to be people who feast on Jesus. He is our bread of life. He is our revival. Isn't that crazy? So here's the point. Jesus, he's good for you. Jesus is good for you. Jesus is not just, oh man, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I hope they play my favorite song. Jesus is good for you. He fills you with goodness. He fills you with joy. That's what the world needs, isn't it? He needs Jesus in us to shine through. The next thing about it, it, it tasted like coriander seed. It was white. Jesus, our purity. Let me tell you something cool about the color white. We're painting our house at the moment. I did not know there were so many different shades of white. Forget about shades of gray. I'm like looking through all these shades of white. And, and we, we chose this one for this room and this one for this room and this one for this room. And we put them together, didn't we, Anne? And we're like, oh, they are slightly different, but they still look white to me. But there's one color white, guys. There's one color white that Dulux was prophesying to us. 
that we have painted the ceilings with, we've painted the skirting boards with, and any other shade of white against that white, you can see, oh yeah, it's not really white because that's white. Do you know what the color is? Pure, brilliant white. That's the color Dulux salt. If you want real white, guys, don't go for rock salt. <laughs> don't go for just almond or walnut. You need to go for pure, brilliant white. Jesus wants the world to know that he is the standard. He is the pure, brilliant white. There's places that we can go. Our guilt drives us places, trying to rid ourselves of guilt, of shame, of these kind of things. The world needs that, a cleansing from these things. But only Jesus is our pure, brilliant white. Jesus is the one who can sustain you, the one who can heal you, the one who can purify you. Jesus is the one who can lead you into your future. Here's my, my next point. The coriander, they also said once they had grounded it and made it into bread, it tasted like waffles and honey. Mmm. Wafers. Sorry, is that my waffle? <laughs> it didn't smell like a waffle. It tasted like a wafer. There we go. Wafers and honey. You know, this is interesting because every time... You could laugh. You could laugh. I know. Jesus is good for you. Remember. <laughs> Every time the Lord prophesied to his people and said, I'm taking you into a land filled with milk and honey. They're not in the land of milk and honey. They're on the way. What Jesus is saying is, you know what? I'm going to give you a foretaste of the things to come. No matter what you're going through, it sounds like Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. No matter what you're facing, Jesus' victory is your foretaste. You can have it right now. You can have it today. You can partake of Jesus in the midst of your trial, in the midst of any suffering, even in the midst of joy. What he brings to us, this Jesus, this God of ours, is a foretaste of what's to come. Isn't Jesus amazing? It tastes like the land of milk and honey while we're still on the journey. Here's the final point. And this is probably the most incredible thing I mentioned at the start. The manna was a miracle. The manna was supernatural provision. The manna was God's spirit breaking out in a way that none of us could earn for, work for, or deserve. It was just given freely. There was no labor for it. There was no seeds that had to be planted. There was no fields that had to be cared for or watered. It was God's free and gracious provision. Isn't that what Jesus does for us? You know what? I want you to know you don't have to work for him. All you have to do is say, Lord, I come to you like you said. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will eat and not be hungry. Here I am. I've come to you. It's as simple as that to get into Jesus. You don't, there's nothing you could do that could earn it because he's done it all. It's a free gift. There's no logic to it. There's no striving to it. And I love that because revival, we can think, man, I've got to work this thing up, man. Saying man twice really helps, doesn't it? I've really got to work this thing up. I've got to make it happen. But no, Jesus, would you step in? Would you be my Jew? Would you be the Jew and the satisfaction for Dudley? Would you be the Jew for my street, Lord? I just want you to step in so freely. Come and walk my street, Lord. Come and bring revival to my heart, to my city, to my street, to my neighborhood, to my family. And this is another point about the fact that it was a miracle. The Israelites chose to complain about it. They looked back. But what, I, what God was saying is, I am your only solution. 
You can look back to Egypt. You can look here. You can look to the left. You can look to the right. But my supernatural solution is the only solution. What God is saying to us is, even as we go about church, as we go about building the kingdom of God, as we go about doing the things in our own lives, building our families, being good employers, wanting, wanting to shine the light, the only thing that can make the difference is God's supernatural, abundant provision in our lives. What God was saying to the Israelites was, I want you to limit yourself. Limit yourself, Ryan? Is God a God of limits? No. I want you to limit yourself to God's limitless provision. That's what God wants you to do. I don't want you to go out and think in your own strength you can make this thing happen. I don't want you to go out and think by your own logic, your own cleverness, your own hard work, your, your own connections, your own relationships. I want you to say, God, like Moses said, unless you show up, unless you lead me forward, unless you turn up, this is not going to happen. The only thing we ever limit ourselves to is the limitless provision, supply, abundance, love of Jesus Christ. When we say, Lord, I'm cutting off all other opportunities. Lord, I'm leaving behind all other avenues, all other choices. The only choice I want to put before me today is Jesus. Well, let me tell you when that happens, you are plugged in to a limitless supply. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I've tasted of you, but now I want to believe in you. And I will not thirst again. And from that supply, that river, all of the heaven's supernatural provision will pour out. When we talk about revival, revival, I, I could have given you definition after definition. I could have given you logic and man's paragraphs about it. Revival is the presence of God made so aware in a community that everyone united steps into it. It's the presence of God. But when I tell you about Jesus... We get plugged into Jesus and the rest happens. Jesus is the present that breaks out among us. Jesus is the limitless supply of God's supernatural power. And that's what I really, really want. You know, I've, I've heard people say kind of jokingly that um, God took, it took God one day to get Israel out of Egypt. It took God one day to take Israel out of captivity. But it took 40 years in the wilderness to take captivity out of Israel. And you know, and even my own life sometimes when I think about that, Lord, there's areas that I need revival in. There's areas that I just want that fresh dew of your spirit to fall, Lord. I want that breath of your spirit to fall. There's areas that I'm, I'm restricting myself to my own source of provision. And in that way, I am living in slavery. And I, I believe in you, Jesus, but I'm on a journey where he is taking slavery out of my heart. He is taking captivity out of my thoughts. And that is a journey of personal revival. That is a journey that he has called every single one of us to walk on. And as our hearts become re revived, we revive people around us. It's